hip resurfacing was made somewhat famous when embattled Tour de France winner Floyd Landis underwent the procedure and returned to full activity, even competing in and almost winning amateur bike races. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. William Hozak. Dr. Hozak is a Professor of Orthopedics at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and Rothman Institute of Orthopedics. Welcome, Dr. Hozak. My pleasure to be here. Today we are discussing hip resurfacing. Dr. Hozak, what is a hip resurfacing procedure? Hip resurfacing is a one type of hip replacement procedure. Most hip replacement procedures are done nowadays to improve patients' quality of life. And this is a newly approved hip procedure that actually has been done for many years in England and Australia and across the world. What exactly is it? Hip resurfacing is really an operation where we don't actually excise the femoral head of the hip joint. The standard hip replacement requires that we cut the femoral neck, which is where the ball of the femur is attached, and then insert a femoral component inside the femur and attach to it a metal or ceramic femoral head. Now, hip resurfacing, on the other hand, involves merely reshaping the femoral head, placing on it a cap of metal, and using that instead as the hip replacement part for the femoral side. In these arthritic joints, is the bone good enough to tolerate that? That's the question that is still ongoing in the evaluation of hip resurfacing. If you look at what is actually available in the literature and what is available on some of the registries across the world, there are certain types of patients who seem to have better results than others with the hip resurfacing procedure. But why is the hip resurfacing procedure an advantageous procedure in some patients? There's a lot of possibilities that people think about when they talk about hip resurfacing and they they read about it or they see it on the Internet. And one is that it is a bone-conserving operation, and in fact it is. We don't remove the bone of the femoral neck. We really reshape the femoral head. So in that regard, it's absolutely true that it does save bone, and therefore in a younger patient where there may be the need for another operation, it doesn't really burn any bridges. Well, how long have you been doing this procedure? It was approved for general usage in the United States almost two years ago, so that's when I started doing it. What initiated it? The thing that got me interested in the procedure was the finding by some surgeons and patients that the hip resurfacing procedure felt more like a normal hip than a total hip arthroplasty. These were patients who had had a previous total hip replacement and then subsequently on the other side had a hip resurfacing procedure. Could you expand upon that? Well, the problem with this kind of information is that there's very poor scientific documentation of its validity, but the idea behind hip replacement procedures in general is to restore everybody's quality of life to the best that we can, and in the younger, more active patients, that becomes more of a challenge. That's where it was possible that perhaps hip resurfacing provided a specific advantage. How did they describe the differences between a traditional hip replacement and a hip resurfacing in terms of their own symptoms? Well, it's kind of interesting. These patients were ones who had a hip replacement standard type on one side and a resurfacing on the other, and were doing a lot of active 
fully athletic type things, and yet they would say to their doctor that the hip resurfacing felt more like a normal hip. Now, why would you do a hip resurfacing on one side when the contralateral side already had a complete hip replacement? As you say, always a good question. And again, these were patients that were very young. Not my patients, of course. These are patients that were operated on elsewhere, and I've talked to the doctors. And they had become interested in resurfacing as it became available in their area. Well, what are the scientific advantages of hip resurfacing? That's a question that is still an ongoing issue these days with the orthopedic joint replacement community, and I don't know that we have a final answer in that regard. What are your thoughts, sir? My feeling is that the total hip replacement, the standard technique, is such a good operation that it's going to be very difficult to prove that hip resurfacing is better in every instance. And in general, I think most people are better candidates for hip replacement standard technique. It's only in the younger population, specifically in active male patients, if you look at the data from the Australian registry, where the hip resurfacing shows some specific advantages in terms of survivorship and lower failure rates. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. William Hozak, professor of orthopedics at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital and Rothman Institute of Orthopedics. Today we are discussing hip resurfacing. Dr. Hozak, which patients would you prefer to do a hip resurfacing procedure as opposed to a full hip replacement? My indications for hip resurfacing will be a young, active, male patient with osteoarthritis, good bone quality, and there are some technical decisions related to the way the bone looks on the x-ray. Young means under the age of 55. This reflects the data that is present in the Australian registry where it is in this particular group of patients that the survivorship is actually better than total hip arthroplasty. Is this a physically less demanding procedure, both for the surgeon and the patient? The surgical procedure is actually a bigger operation from a surgeon standpoint. It requires a bigger incision. It requires more dissection of muscles and cutting of muscles to get the proper exposure. And it takes more time with the inherent increased blood loss associated with increased time in the operating room. For the patient, on the other hand, the recovery is rather rapid and is equivalent, if not better, than the standard total hip arthroplasty. So when do you really decide the primary care physicians who have patients who certainly have arthritic hips that are debilitating, how do they offer their advice whether they should get hip resurfacing or a total hip replacement? I think the best way to approach that problem or that issue would be to have a conversation with your patient about whether they indeed are thinking about hip replacement surgery at all. In other words, have they had the appropriate non-surgical or conservative management for their hip arthritis? Have they uh, modified activities? Have they taken medications? Those types of things are important to talk about first. If the patient has done those things and is really unhappy with their quality of life, rather than talking about hip resurfacing or hip replacement, I would refer the patient to an orthopedic surgeon who specializes in hip replacement and let the orthopedic surgeon have that conversation. Do orthopedic surgeons like yourself do both hip replacement and hip resurfacing, or do you specialize in one or the other? 
resurfacing is one type of hip replacement, so it really falls under the field of a hip replacement specialist. Now, since we've only been doing the procedure for several years, we don't know about the long-term outlook, do we? The answer is both yes and no. The clinical experience in the United States is small in terms of numbers, but there have been trials done under FDA approval where there have been results that are in five to ten years out. The best data is coming out of centers in England and Australia. That data is approaching ten years. But in truth, we do not know really long-term survivorship data past eight to ten years with this type of procedure. And how did you, as well as other orthopedic surgeons, learn this technique? The technique itself is a variation of the surgical technique for standard total hip arthroplasty. So it's not that it's totally foreign to the hip replacement specialist. On the other hand, it does require special familiarity with different types of instrumentation, increased exposure. For example, what I did is I traveled to England and worked with one of the surgeons who had originated the procedure, tried to understand some of his tricks, and then applied it to my practice. Is it a technically difficult procedure to learn? I think for the experienced hip replacement surgeon, it can be uh, learned in a reasonably quick period of time. Can you do more than one hip resurfacing on the same hip? Technically, it can be done, but in general, what happens if the hip resurfacing procedure fails either early or late for whatever reason, then the standard total hip replacement is done. And what are the reasons that they fail? Failure can occur early and or late. Early failures can be related to bone quality, and that may be related to surgical technique or basic just poor bone quality of the patient. And late can occur to loosening or degeneration of the bone quality as the patient ages. There also are changes that occur in the bone as the time passes, which we don't know if these are something that will lead to ultimate failure or just are normal. But again, with the data only out 8 to 10 years, we can't really say that this is a lifelong hip. It's a good operation. It works well. And I think the primary indications are a young, active patient who we know will need at least one hip replacement in their lifetime. Let's say Lance Armstrong walks into your office, and because of all the years of his cycling, he's got bad hips and he needs some surgical procedure. To a young man like that who is in unbelievable physical shape, would you offer hip resurfacing or a hip replacement? What I would do, actually, is talk to him about both. I have these conversations daily with my patients, and we talk about the fact that hip replacement in general is a really good operation. The patients do well. The results are fantastic. The quality of life is improved. The risks of the operation are identical, whether or not it is a hip resurfacing or hip replacement. And so I talk a lot about the similarities between the uh, two procedures. The recovery periods are the same. So in overall, the operations are very similar in their results and in terms of their complications. Then I talk about, okay, what are the differences? Just like we've talked about in the last period of time, there are certain differences which, for any one patient, might be appealing or appropriate in terms of decision-making. For somebody like Lance Armstrong, who has a history of high-intensity activities, the option of hip resurfacing is a good one from a bearing standpoint. That is, it's a metal-on-metal -metal bearing. And done appropriately, the metal-on-metal -metal bearing is a good bearing for somebody who has a high-frequency cycling, such as a, a bicyclist or something like Lance Armstrong. So for him, assuming the bone quality is good, then that would be a reasonable option. On the other hand, 
quite honestly, the regular total hip replacement will do very, very well on that same patient, again, if done with the appropriate technique. So finally, if the 75-year-old gentleman comes in with a severe osteoarthritis, you would not offer them a hip resurfacing procedure? That type of patient is one who will have a superb result with the regular total hip arthroplasty done with less traumatic techniques. Even in that group, there are exceptions, but I would say that that is, you know, the 0.1%, and the rest would do very, very well and should have the regular total hip arthroplasty. I want to thank Dr. William Hozak, who has been our guest. We have been discussing hip resurfacing. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.